Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, this is the Spirit Doctor, Kelly Sparta, and you are listening to Spirit Sherpa, the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. Today, Pastor G from TikTok is back, Reverend Grant Merrill. I'm so glad to have you here again, Grant. Uh, For those of you who haven't heard the first episode, Grant was a fundamentalist evangelical pastor, and now he is a gay-ordained United Methodist pastor, and uh, he is passionate about bringing change to the world by encouraging others to be their authentic selves. And so when I followed him on TikTok, I, I reached out and I was like, we have to talk about the seven deadly sins. And and then on the first episode of this, he was like, hey, there are virtues that go with them. I'm like, awesome, let's do them both. And so here we are. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, this, this, we, we were just talking about how much fun we had on the first one. So, you know, this is going to be we're rocking and rolling, baby. All right. So uh, today we're going to talk about greed and Charity. Yes. Greed right? and charity. Uh, greed being the, the deadly sin uh, that, that had uh, been codified by the desert fathers and mothers in the fourth century. Charity being kind of the antithesis of that, the, the virtue that we strive for. Um, and the, specifically, the Latin word for charity is, is caritas. Um, later on in medieval uh, um, Christianity, um, charity would also become synonymous with love, which which brings in a different piece to uh, uh, the opposite of greed being both generosity and love uh, for ourselves and for others. So that's cool. So now you mentioned the desert mothers and fathers in the first one, and I never asked you about it. And so I have to ask you about it now because I, I need you to define this for us so that we know who these people are. 
So uh, in the fourth century, uh, uh, you know, in the um, four five hundreds, somewhere in that range, we're at the very um, infant stage of uh, Christianity, not as a movement. It had been around for three, four hundred years at that point. Um, but we were in the infant stage of Christianity being the political powerhouse uh, that unfortunately it, it has continued to, to be so and and really gave birth to the nationalistic, evangelical, um, uh, political form of Christianity that, that has um, kind of overtaken, especially in, in the Western world. So in the fourth century, the desert mothers and fathers were very upset um, by the way that Christianity had uh, kind of moved from this, this movement of love uh, that that Jesus started uh, into a political uh, movement that uh, Constantine birthed and really married Christianity with the Roman Empire. They were upset by the um, indulgency, uh, the, you know, the, the um, wastefulness of Christianity and the Roman Empire, the way that uh, positions in the church were sold uh, or given to uh, people by political favor, um, and also the way that uh, people were treated around them, uh, specifically the, the uh, just rancid anti-Semitism that, that was occurring uh, the way that uh, people, uh, pagans and, and others around the church were being treated by those in political power. Um, and, and we could, I, I'll spare you the, 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 um, the take on Constantine as a, as a, as a Christian. I mean, um, his conversion involved uh, a, an order to conquer. Um, and so what was, was Constantine a Christian or an opportunist? I would say he was an opportunist. He wasn't baptized until his deathbed because he wanted to continue to kill people. I really struggle with God. His mother was a true saint. Constantine himself, though he was um, beatified, is, is not a wonderful person. And so the desert mothers and fathers were reacting to the Roman Empire around them. The way that the Christian uh, world and the Roman Empire were married really bothered them. And so they moved out to the, the middle of nowhere. They moved out to the desert. And traditionally, the desert in both Jewish and Christian tradition um, was a place of spiritual retreat, of spiritual renewal, of spiritual purity and purification. And so they left the Roman Empire to live a um, radical and um, uh, against the norm kind of life. And so they left to be better people. And so it makes sense then that they would uh, have something like the seven deadly sins or the seven virtues to kind of shape their lives by, because the whole reason they were there was because they didn't want to be like the rest of the world, the rest of the Christian world. And so they, they really delved into mysticism, into um, uh, a lot of um, the desert mothers and fathers wrote very mystical, spiritual um, uh, far from Orthodox Christian understandings of faith. Um, very, very, um, they got into very sexual understandings of, of Christianity. Um, they really thought of Jesus as a lover of their soul. And, and a lot of their writings are, I mean, it's spicy. Uh, desert mothers and fathers had some spicy stuff. And really within the last, um, 50 years or so, there's been a renewed interest in the desert mothers and fathers. Um, because uh, we're really seeing uh, this this hunger for a spiritual, mystical understanding of faith. Now, I remember seeing on 
I don't know, Discovery Channel or something where uh, they were talking about where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and, and about all of these other scrolls that were found in this desert area far away from, you know, from everything where they had had this compound and that in the, the caves were found these perfectly pre- preserved scrolls and these pots and stuff. Is, is that likely who we're talking about? Uh, very much in that tradition. So the Essenes were the ones who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. I've been there, and it's fascinating. Qumran is a beautiful and fascinating place. Um, the Essenes were the same kind of tradition, personality, uh, only uh, a few hundred years earlier. So they were pulling out of the, the Jewish world because they saw the way the Jewish world was being married with the Roman Empire. Um, and, and that's right around the time that Jesus was, was born. Within a hundred years of Jesus' birth, the Essenes were pulling out of Jewish society. They were upset that the Romans were, were influencing Jewish society. They were upset that Jewish leaders and, and people like King Herod were really selling out to the Roman Empire. So they pulled out. Um, uh, in the century before Jesus' birth uh, to to live a radical and different and pure life out in the desert. And so very much in the same tradition. And, and uh, nerd moment, John the Baptist was probably an Essene. Um, you know, lived in the desert, wore, the Bible says he wore fur and ate locusts and honey. He was a wild man. He was, he was a desert father type personality. And so the desert mothers and fathers in Christianity very much followed in that tradition just a few hundred years later. And so where are those writings from? Where are you finding that information? Um, you can find, so a lot of them have been very well preserved. So uh, you can find, if you Google Desert Mothers and Fathers, there are lots of well-known uh, names now. Um, uh, the Catholic Church tried to silence and get rid of, I know that shocks all of us. Uh, I mean, I have to be careful. I live in Catholic Central. Um, but the Catholic Church tried to silence and and really shove the Desert Mothers and Fathers down. Well, the Catholic Church, ever since um, Vatican II especially, uh, you know, the, the last 50 years or so, 60 years, the, there's been a renewed interest even in the Catholic Church to, to um, have a mystical, spiritual understanding of faith. We've, we, we, Everything in the church is is always in flux with society. And so when science was booming, the church said, no, science is bad. And when everything was feelings, we said, oh, you know, let's have practical and methodical ways of looking at faith. And so in the in the 1960s, as as Vatican II was um codified and and as uh faith kind of started to look a little bit different. Um, people really started to embrace meditation and uh, the, the desert mothers and fathers and these mystical understandings of Christianity as a way of trying to respond to that summer of love mentality, the, the hippie um, uh, look at the world that really embraced Eastern theology. Um, the Catholic Church said, hey, we have so much of this that's in our tradition, too. All of a sudden, they're not such bad people, the desert mothers and fathers. And so they brought them in and began to publish their works uh, officially. Uh, okay so that that's again something new i have learned thank I'm you sorry. i'm edified I, I once more to out too much more for you hey talk about it no, no, no. we love the nerd out here Good. So, Good. <laughs> so back to the virtues and the sins right so we're, we're talking about greed and charity and and it's interesting because uh, I have recently been doing a lot of my own work around money. And uh, as I'm as I'm working to grow my 
school, my, my mystery school, um, I'm, I'm having to address mon- money issues, right? Because if I'm going to get more people in the door, I've got to address my money issues as I go. And it's been an ongoing practice for me to do that and to address my own limiting beliefs about, you know, what does it mean if, if, you know, this many people know who I am or that many people or whatever, right? The, the thing that has shown up as I've been doing this work is this, this greed and charity piece, right? And it's not so much, um, you know, the greed side isn't so much relevant, except that the, the piece is, it's about constriction and flow, right? And because, um, greed will shut down. It'll constrict the flow because it's like I'm holding on to things. I'm, 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 I'm gra- grasping for things. I'm dragging things to me. I'm, I'm hoarding. And charity is I have more than enough. I'm handing out from my overflow, right? And there's a, a flow to that that opens your energy field up, right? And, and this is part of the gratitude process. And we're going to talk about gratitude more with, with one of the other sins of virtues, but, um, but it's part of the, uh, basically when you give away money or, you know, goods, what you're saying is there's always more. There's plenty. I, I have more than enough and I'm not worried about tomorrow. Right. I know that I will be taken care of. I know that all will be right with the world. And when you are greedy, what you're saying is I need to hoard enough because I don't trust the universe to provide for me. I need to make sure I have more than everyone else so that I am taken care of. I need to make sure that I have the power, right? Because power can be hoarded and, and you can be greedy for power too, right? I need to make sure that I have everything that I need and, and it doesn't matter what other people need, right? I got to take care of number one first. And that's a survival mechanism thought process, right? And so uh, as I've been sinking into this in my own work, I've been looking at where are my points of contraction and expansion? You know, it's the, you know, do I really want to be someone who is so well known that that people stop me on the street, right? You know, do I want to lose my, my privacy in that way, right? Um, do I want to, you know, have to worry about having security, you know, do I want to have to, you know, worry about any of that, right? Um, and, you know, this, that's a constriction, right? <laughs> Massive constriction there, right? So, so you know, you got to find the other side of it and be like, ah, okay, so here's the, here's the flow, right? <laughs> here's the flow and here's how, you know, every, everything in life has an upside and a downside. Everywhere you are, there is an upside and a downside. And so, you know, you've just got to be able to step into wherever you are in your process and be with that, right? And say, yeah, everything has an upside and a downside and, and the upside will offset the downside and everything will be fine, right? You just have to go with that. And there is a way that this this particular one speaks to me right now where I am. And so, you know, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, but I I see this in the spiritual community too, right? I I see um, like teachers hoarding information, right? And they're like, you know, they're greedy around the information. And, you know, there is a reason to hold some things back and it's because they're dangerous, right? If you don't understand what you're dealing with and you learn them too soon, you can hurt yourself or other people. 
That is not being greedy with information. That is being responsible with information. But if what you're doing is hoarding information so that you can feel better than everybody else, that's a different story, right? Oh, you know, you have to earn the right to this one. No, come on. You know, really? Yeah. It, it, and, and there's just a half turn in there, right? And, and, you know, how do you know the difference? Well, the way you know the difference is you listen to your gut when they say it. That's how you know the difference, right? <laughs> if your gut goes, then, then it's, they're hoarding. Yeah, I mean, it, if, to me, it's constriction and flow. And, you know, what, what is the theological side? I don't want to say the church, the theological side of it. In a lot of ways, it comes down to fear. Fear that I won't have enough. Fear that I will have less than someone else. Fear that um, what I have won't be adequate. And and so that idea of greed really comes out of self-preservation. Um, and it could be with money or anything. It could be with ourselves. It could be with our time or our wisdom, as you said. With, uh, or our partner. Example of teaching. Exactly. It could be anything. Immediately, like I, I thought of, uh, and I couldn't pull up the the scriptural address at the moment, but lovely verse that the perf- perfect love drives out fear. And if charity is the opposite of greed, and charity and love kind of go hand in hand in theology, uh, love drives out that fear that I won't be enough or I won't have enough. Um, and so I think theologically, that's kind of the conversation that that I. I tend to revolve around in my head is this, it's fear, fear of inadequacy, fear of not having enough, and and the opposite of fear, uh, you know, love drives out that fear, love for myself, love for the world around me, love for my neighbor, uh, love, love for others. And, and, and I, and I do think we have to include love for ourselves in that as well, because greed, fear kills us, you know, if, if this is a deadly sin, um, you know, we would usually think about how it might affect others around us, but also greed kills us when we live in that fear of inadequacy. What's dying first is my soul, not not my neighbor. We, we may steal out of greed. We may lie and cheat out of greed, but what withers and dies first is my, my very being and my, the essence of the divine in me. Yeah, there, there's another piece to this too the, that I'm, I'm leaning into. I, I was watching the show Billions on uh, they, they, they had a free, you know, basically everything up until the current one. It's a Showtime show, um, so I don't have Showtime, so I've seen the most recent one, but uh, series, but a season rather. But um, you know, the, the thing that they're showing is all these uh, hedge fund managers and and how they're you know they're one-upping each other and you know blah 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 and basically they they are using their bank account to determine their worth right and they're they're playing with money as a way of proving themselves it's like a it's like the old time it's it's almost like um mixed martial arts right only in in suits right? It's the same idea. And, and instead of beating each other up physically, they're beating each other up financially, which of course beats up everyone whose money that they're using because it's not their own money that they're using. So um, it becomes this, this one-upmanship, brinksmanship game. And that is, uh, it, it is a, um, it's not stewardship, right? It, when, when you hand your money to someone, 
and you ask them to manage it for you, you're asking them to steward it. And when I look at what's happening on this show, if it's at all reflective, and I'm fairly certain it is, of, of reality, what you're getting is not stewardship. You're getting brinksmanship and manipulation and, you know, all of these games that are being played rather than stewardship. And so, you know, that it, it's worth saying in this section on greed, it's not exactly greed, but I'm not sure where else it, it kind of, it's kind of pride, right? Um, and it's, it's a little bit of jealousy, right? And it's a little bit of everything, right? It's like, it, it sort of runs the gamut through a bunch of these different things, right? And, um, and, and, you know, the, the thing that I would say is when we buy into these institutions, we are supporting these behaviors, right? And so, you know, then the question becomes, what other options do you have, right? Because, you know, if you're working for a company with a 401k plan, you don't have the option not to invest in that because that's what the 401k plan is, right? Um but, you know, you do have the option to invest on your own with IRAs and everything. But, you know, how many people actually have the energy and time to do the research on that, right? It's, uh, and that's the thing, right? But it is our money. And if we don't take responsibility for it, then we get what we get, right? And so, so I think that much like we have to learn how to date to find a good partner. <laughs> and we have to learn how to cook to eat a good meal <laughs> at home, right? Um, I think we have to learn how how, manage, how money works so that we can manage it effectively, right? And, and charity is part of that. You know, I, I'm, I'm having a conversation at the end of this month with a woman who is a, a shaman and who teaches money stuff. And um, she has this model that she uses, and I'm, I'm going to look her name up right now so that I, I get it right, because I don't want to say her model without giving her credit for it. So, um, But she has this model that she uses, and I'll tell you her name as soon as I find it in here, <laughs> um, that is uh, the 60-40 rule is what she uses. And the 60-40 rule, her name is Janine Bolin, B-O-L-O-N, J-A-N-I-E. N-E. And um, I'm going to talk to her. I'm going to see if I can get her to come on the podcast, but uh, we're giving her a shout out today. Um, But the 60-40 rule that she espouses is this idea of um, 60% of your money is what you live on. 20%, 10% goes into long-term savings. 10% goes into short-term savings. um, 10% goes into charity at home, like locally in your local area and 10% goes to uh, either a religion or a uh, larger institution of doing good in the world, right? Spiritual ties. What a lovely model. Yeah. And she swears that if you live by that model, that your money will just explode. And I will say that, uh, you know, she has you start with uh, like, um, you know, a little bit of, uh, if you get extra money in, you know, to start by just doing it with the extra money. And I will say I've started doing it and it it's working. 
<laughs> the extra money is increasing, right? It's very interesting to watch. Um, so I am, I am in the process of, of slowly integrating it into my, my entire life. So, um, I, I, I have found that it's actually working. So when you're looking at the money that's coming in and saying, okay, what do I do with this? How do I give it to charity? There's a lot of responsibility that goes with that too, right? So, you know, having to research, uh, and, you know, I played this game called the game of boxes and uh, with Rina, Rina uh, Barrett, I want to say, um, but it's called the game of boxes. If you look it up, you can find it. And um, they basically, they give you 10 bucks virtual money when you start and they double it every day for 30 days and you end up with like $5 billion on your last day that you have, and you have to spend everything every day. Right. And so what I found as I was going through this exercise is that I was like, you know, this is really hard to find a good use for the money. Right. Because, you know, you can throw money at a lot of things and they won't have a lasting impact. Yep. And it could even do harm. Um, you know, I, so my undergrad uh, degree is in international community development. And one of my favorite books is a book called When Helping Hurts. And so often we throw money at things, which actually causes more harm than if we would step back and think, how can we make this problem uh, uh, solvable? How can we, how can we create lasting good in our community instead of throwing money at it and, and stepping back and allowing that money to, to wither away and possibly do even further harm? Well, I, re- I read this book called The Energy of Money. And that was one of the things that they talked about was that they were doing these infrastructure projects in Africa and that they came in with this big plan that involved huge sums of money and whatever. And they, and the villagers were like, yeah, we're really not that interested. <laughs> and, and they built, they built these huge buildings and, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, they came back six months later and they weren't using them, you know, and, uh, so they finally got smart and said, well, what would you do? And they said, well, you know, we need like 500 bucks and, and we'll do this. And their plan was both financially more sound and was actually better, a better solution, right? Because, you know, they were on the ground and they knew what they needed and go figure novel concept. If you invest people in their own outcome, they'll invest in the solution, you know? So mm-hmm. Um, say sometimes, uh, you know, that charity piece, especially, uh, I think we see this a lot within the religious community, but also within, um, capitalism, um, which might I add Christianity and capitalism are very much married in the West. Uh, uh, and I think that so often, uh, that charity piece really comes from a place of greed. And, um, this will be dated when, when I'm sorry, my reference is dated by the time you publish this podcast, but just within the last week, um, He's a mixed bag. I, I, sometimes I love Pope Francis, and sometimes I'm just so disappointed. Um, the statement he made this week, uh, he said, couples who choose not to have children are greedy and selfish. And I think, gosh, what, how, how convenient that it happened to be this week as we're having this discussion. I think, my goodness, um, why on earth would, would uh, the largest religious institution in the world think that not having children... Uh, would be a greedy and selfish decision. And perhaps that would be a greedy and selfish statement from, from the world's largest, uh, you know, that, that, you know, we, we want uh, the way that we live to perpetuate our power and influence. And I think that 
um, you know, while we blast well, others. Not to mention the, the, the you know, the, the uh, hypocrisy of a man who is never going to get married or have children himself saying to others that they shouldn't do what he did. Absolutely. Uh, but I, without, without blaming and, and only blasting the Catholic Church, I think that that's the case with, with Christianity as, as a whole. You know, uh, within, within the uh, environment that I used to serve in, there's a movement called the Quiverful, uh, uh, which, which is, um, I believe it comes out of Proverbs. There's a verse that says, uh, um, uh, blessed is the man whose uh, quiver is full of arrows. In other words, blessed is a blessed is a man who has lots of kids, um, and and so there is a large movement within evangelical Christianity that the more kids you have, the better you are, um, and, and that in as in and of itself, while it may seem like what a lovely thing, what a gift to the world, uh, also how 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 greedy that can be sometimes for us to to um, that that charity, how we practice charity, and how we. Um, uh, practice our love for the world around us can actually be a source of greed because it is bringing in that that pride and power that, that we talked about last time. You know, the idea that having children in this world when the planet is already overpopulated and where we're out of balance with nature and, you know, where we are literally killing the planet with our, our you know, CO2 and whatever, all of our lifestyle stuff, is is short-sighted and not very you know it it really is just self-serving and and really you know it's one of those moments where you go hmm and this is why i'm not in the church (laughs) you know it's like yeah thanks for reinforcing that for me yeah thank you pope francis shout out i i do i love you sometimes but this week not so much so (laughs) yeah so, you know, I haven't been a big fan of a Pope since John Paul II. So mm. <laughs> just I had me. high hopes. I had high hopes for, for Francis, but, and he's made some, some wonderful statements, but uh, those are getting fewer and fewer uh, and further yeah. between. So anyway, um, but yes, I think that greed and charity, um, uh, so often the way that we practice charity can in and of itself be a, a source of, of hoarding pride and power. And so I think that, that uh, we really, in lots of ways, have to step back and say, what does the world around me need? And is what I am offering what is really needed? Or is what I'm offering causing harm and only doing um, me the favor of feeling good about myself and what I've done? Yes. Well, and this is the thing, right? Is that, um, you know, there's there's this piece of One of the things that I talk to people about who are becoming coaches or becoming healers is this concept of getting permission, right? It's like, yes, you see very clearly what the other person needs, or you see very clearly what their highest self looks like. But you didn't have permission to tell somebody something. You know, the Long Island medium medium makes me crazy, because she's inserting herself and her cameras into people's lives. And, you know, it's, it's this, this whole thing, right, of you need to get permission before you coach. You need to get permission before you heal. You need to get permission before you try to save someone because they may not want to be saved. And they, and even if they want to be saved, they may not want to be saved by you, right? And especially for those of us who are lighter complected, we have this savior's thing that we have going on here. And, and we need to be really conscious of that savior thing. And so, you know, 
what what we have to ask ourselves when we are giving is, are we giving to someone who both wants and needs our help, right? And, and if we are, if that's a yes, if that's true, are, is what we're giving going to be of help in the moment? Or is it going to be of help in the long run? And, and there's nothing wrong with being of help in the moment. If you've got a hungry person in front of you and you feed them, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But you have to recognize that they're going to need to be fed in a few hours and a few hours after that too, right? And so feeding them now, great, but what are you going to do about the long run, right? And maybe it's your problem and maybe it isn't. But if you have substantial resources to shepherd in charitable ways, this is something you have to consider. And if you want to have substantial resources to shepherd in considerable ways. This is something that you should be thinking about because people who have resources are thinking about this. And we've talked about this before in terms of manifesting money and things like that is that you don't do prosperity spells because people who have money don't do prosperity spells, right? You've got to do what people who have money do. And what they do is they educate themselves about their money. They pay attention to their money. They track their money. They are, make conscious choices about their money. They save and invest their money. They, they purchase assets in order to be able to have their money work for them. And they steward their money and, and become philanthropists and, and have to research where that money is going to do the most good. If you want to be someone with substantial resources, then these are the things that you do. And in doing so, you open your flow to the money, right? And that's the piece. And so... Um, you know, as we're looking at greed and charity, we have to look at that because that's where, you know, if greed clamps down and charity opens up, then, you know, where is it that we're, how, how are we going to open our flow? And, you know, how are we going to have that make the most impact to the people who actually want to receive it? Because there's nothing worse than trying to give somebody something to somebody who doesn't want to receive it, right? If you've ever tried to love someone who doesn't want your love, you know what I mean. <laughs> and one of the things that I do love about the seven deadly sins and this uh, uh, list of virtues that goes along is they're practical. They're here and now. And especially me coming from, from uh, the, the Christian world, so much of of what we talk about and think about is like future minded and though i i don't have an orthodox understanding of eternity or anything like that um uh, with regards to uh, a christian orthodoxy at least these are tangible things these were not meant to be you know there's a saying that 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 we have within the church that so often we can be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good well this is that earthly good piece greed is something that is here and now and it it's not that it affects my neighbor in a future sense, it's that it affects them now. It's that it affects me now by the way that I practice the fear that I have that what I have and what I am won't be enough. And so I love, I love that about, it's weird to say I love that about the seven deadly sins, but they're about here and now. It's not about something far off. It's about something that, that I can do to make my life and my world and, and the world around me better now. By being generous, by by practicing charity, by recognizing that that uh, fear clamps down on that gift that I can have to make the world and the universe a, a more free and and loving place. Yeah, and I think that we're just going to use that as our wrap up. So awesome! <laughs> 
So as per um, the last time, if you want to hear more from uh, from Grant, you can find him at Pastor underscore G TikTok. And he will be back on for the next five uh, you know, deadly sins and, and virtues. And uh, we're, we're, uh, we're excited to have him come back and do that again with us. And uh, as always, like, rate, subscribe, join the mailing list. Uh, you know, if you want to hear, I'm, I'm doing a ton of, oh, my God, I'm, I'm being interviewed on so many different things. If you want to make sure that you don't miss anything that I'm, I'm doing, then you'll definitely want to subscribe to the mailing list on, on my website at kellysparta.com, too. Um, and uh, that's all we have for this episode. So tune in next week when I share another episode on energy magic in the spirit world. I am Kelly Sparta here with Pastor G from TikTok, Grant Merrill, and you have been listening to Spirit Sherpa. So long, everyone. Bye. strong knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving wondering where my spirit will I'm driving are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing but you feel like you kind of probably should especially since You seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.